Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there. Ever dream of making your own podcast? Let me tell you a little bit about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, and I cannot wait to giggle with our guests for a full hour. Today's guest and I met while jumping on dorm room beds and watching High School Musical. She is an actor, a musician, and above all else, a dancer first. Please welcome to the mic, my good friend, Charlotte York. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you've put me as a dancer first, even though I've got a tattoo on my foot. You know, and that's what makes you like a maverick in your field. (laughs) Literally. This is such an inside joke for anyone listening, and I'm so sorry. But basically, um, when Ryan was doing a semester abroad in the UK, I came to visit on Thanksgiving break, and I was like, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to get a tattoo on my foot. And then when my mom found out like months later, because I was obviously too scared to tell her, she told me, well, you're never going to be a dancer now because nobody's going to hire a dancer with a tattoo on their foot. So that's a bit of backstory for you guys as to how ridiculous my family is. (laughs) We just started out strong with an inside joke and we're just really being relatable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like really relatable to people. I think a lot of people will have that um, in common with me that parents think they won't be dancers because of tattoos. Specifically on the feet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if our, uh, if our good readers have not figured it out, um, Charlotte is British and I am not. (laughs) Um, so for example, during that whole trip, she was visiting home. I was taking a bus to her. I got off on the, in the wrong city. Yep. Cause you fell asleep and like you woke up and panicked, right? Yeah. And just got off the bus, which is don't do that. That's just foolish. (laughs) It's the most Ryan thing ever to do. Just like, uh, I I might've missed it. So I should just get off now. (laughs) But such is life. That is a theme for my entire life. And then you came to stay at my grandparents in Bath with me, and they were very concerned about us sharing the same bed. And I was like, guys, um, Ryan's gay. And my grandma was like, I love the gays. They always looked after me when I was um, on flights because she used to work for British Airways. (laughs) She was like, the gays are great. They would always come and protect us. (laughs) That's it. That's us, the great pretenders. Literally. (laughs) Pretenders, protectors. <laughs> Both. That's right. Both, maybe. Who knows? Oh, Lord. All right, Charlotte. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning and from a subject that I just am interested to hear about. Can we talk about horses? Oh, my gosh. Sure. Because <laughs> you're a horse girl. Yeah. Like, back in the day growing up, I mean, I come from a place where, um, like, in the countryside of England, 
courses are just kind of everywhere. Uh (laughs) Um, And like, you know, back when I was younger, like you could buy a horse for like a hundred pounds. So what's that? Like $150, like $200. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's just a different world of like horse riding over here. And then when I moved to the States when I was 13 was when I realized I was like, oh, like horse riding is like an elitist kind of sport in America. Like I remember going to like view a horse because we were like, you know, how my parents were like, how do we kind of assimilate Charlotte, you know, moving to a new country, not knowing anybody, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so we kind of looked into, you know, getting into like the hobbies that I was doing back home, which is horse riding. And we went to look at a horse and it was like $65,000. And we were like, oh, like I'm 13. Like, I mean, I don't think anybody needs a horse that's $65,000, but especially like a 13 year old prancing around in a pony pretending that they know what they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Like that much money spent on them. You're like, I don't need a payment plan. I don't know. I don't need a new line of credit. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's just a different one. I mean, I would say probably like, you know, I would say looking back now in hindsight, you know, obviously it's also quite an elitist thing over here. But when we moved to America, I was like, oh, this is like a different ball game. Yeah, it's like a whole different world. And I'm sure there are people who have farms and they're like, I've had a horse for 17 years and it was two bucks and and a smile. No, Uh, exactly. Like, you know, where I was from, like we opened the kitchen windows and like cows were in our back garden you know, it's just that kind of area. But yeah, living in a Greenwich, Connecticut was a a, a, a different uh, different ballgame altogether. <laughs> yeah. So you you moved to America at thirteen. Yes. Fresh, ready, sad yeah. to leave your horses. Yes. <laughs> so sad, but yeah, it was it was um it was a really hard time. I think because I think thirteen is like the age that you kind of start to find yourself a little bit and start to find your friends you know up until that point you're kind of like everybody's friends with everyone and you have birthday parties and everyone's invited and everyone gets a party bag and things like that um but 13 is when you kind of like find the people you know because you're more kind of um interested in your certain hobbies and things so then you find the people that also are interested in those hobbies and you have those um collective things that you share together as opposed to just kind of everyone's friends in math class, you know? And so I think at 13, like I just made those friends and then, and then we left. So it was a, I was really sad to have to be leaving. Like, and I didn't want to go at all. Um, but now it's so funny because now I'm in London, I'm back in London and New York is home. Mm which is so funny that like after all that, like I was so upset out of everyone in my family. Like I was, and I think it's because I'm the oldest sibling. I was like, I do not want to go. I have everything here. And yeah, then it it's turned out that actually I'm over here now and my life is in America. And I'm like, I miss my friends and I miss my life. And I miss, you know, half my family is still over there. It's, it's a strange, strange reversal. Yeah, and those teen puberty years, I'm sure no matter where you are, you get attached to that space because you're like listening to Avril Lavigne and writing (laughs) sad poetry and literally, uh, you know, MySpace was around. Like, (laughs) Honestly, like my email address, it was so funny because I just had to download Chrome to get onto this and Mm. I like signed into my Facebook, which usually everything, you know, your passwords and stuff are saved on things nowadays, but I had to like sign in to my Facebook and it's still my old email address, my first email address, which was Foxy for the number four, mm. Pascal, which is the name of my horse at hotmail.com. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I wish we stayed with that. When it, Whoever came up with like, oh, you have to have a professional email that's just your name was not fun. Like I wish, Honestly. My, I wish my email was like, lamp wig 22 uh <laughs> you know i think you should set up a new one and just have that be it have every any professional email yeah yeah, yeah. um it's lamp wig 22 yep. that's that's l-a-m <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so you you get to connecticut and then do you okay this might be like jumping around a little bit but post getting to connecticut you kind of like freely moved around 
a lot. Like you, you went to LA, you were in the city, you, you basically had like a full career before we met in college. (laughs) Kind of. Do you think that like played into the fact that you moved over here at 13 and you're like, well, if I'm not going to have any roots, I'm just going to like do this thing. Yeah, potentially. Like, you know, I say that I was so connected to England when I moved here. But when I look back on it, it's kind of funny because, you know, up until I was six or seven, I can't even really tell you. I feel like my childhood is a blur. Um, But up until I was around six, we were in, we moved out to Japan. Um, Japan? Yeah, we lived in Yokohama in Japan, then to Singapore, then to Hong Kong, then back to Japan where we lived in Tokyo, um, and then moved back to England. Um, And then we lived just outside London, um, near St. Albans, and then then moved to Bath like a year after that. So I didn't live in my, you know, what's considered my hometown until I was about eight, I guess. Um, So really, you know, England was so connected, was like, I was so connected to it when I moved to the States, but I was so used to kind of moving around and, and picking myself up and just being like, okay, we're in a new place, you know? So I think for me, like moving to Greenwich was, was hard because of my friends and my hobbies. And, you know, I kind of just started, found my feet with like my singing in, in England and starting kind of more drama style things, um, over here. But then I moved to the States and I was like, well, I guess anything's possible now or in America, why not? Like, so when an opportunity came up to go to LA and to, um, to intern for a production company and to then kind of work as an, as a production assistant on set, I was like, sure. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I got my driving license, I think a week before I flew out there and you'll know, like LA traffic is not a joke. And Mm -hmm. so I was literally just like, you know, that scene in the holiday when Cameron Diaz, like is driving that mini on the wrong side of the road and she's just like closes her eyes and it's like ah like <laughs> that that was me in LA driving around and I like I didn't know how to like feed myself I didn't know how to like my dad basically gave me um a card connected to his and was like go crazy um obviously like with a limit um but you know as far as like cooking and everything like <laughs> I remember I had a flatmate um who I basically got put up with at the production, the head of production had just moved in with her boyfriend. And so I lived in her flat while she still had it. Um, and I had a roommate there who was, I think she was like 30, 31 at the time. Um, and I would come home from like going for a grocery shop and she'd be like, what did you buy? Cause I would have gone to Whole Foods and I would got like brownies and like the cookies with the icing sugar on top and all this like absolute crap like no wonder I put on weight and was chubby like I literally (laughs) bought all this stuff and was like yum this is the stuff that I like cool I can buy it because no one's here to tell me not to (laughs) I could not I cannot imagine my 30 year old self coming home and being like yeah my roommate's 16 right honestly but we got on so well it's so funny because we're still Facebook friends and we catch up every now and again and she was like semi-famous because she was on this tv show over here called fame academy and that was kind of like the first um american idol type thing but it was like people would all um live in one house together and it would then they'd get voted off every week um Mm -hmm. but like singing for their supper every weekend basically um and so she did really well on that so she was kind of famous and she was dating like an f1 racer jensen button if anyone knows f1 racing because very famous racing driver um and was engaged to him and everything and so she's kind of well known but she would bring me out to all these like LA parties like I remember calling my mom up and being like hey um so there's this party this weekend um DJ AM is DJing uh Rihanna is performing um it's to like (laughs) literally it was to celebrate the um the like end of the NASCAR season or something. It was when she released Shut Up and Drive. And, and I was like, um, so it's obviously going to be like a major networking um, opportunity for me. So um, I need $100 so that I can go and um, buy a fake ID. <laughs> and she gave it to me. She was like, um, okay. She was like, and that so, makes sense. Like that, like I'm, re- here's the thing. I'm really good at bullshitting to the point where 
I make sense. And somebody's yeah. just like, okay, sure. Um, just give her what she wants. Just shut her up. Um, and so I lit- I remember going by myself to MacArthur Park, like after dark and I get out of my car and like, it's just so sketchy. I don't know if it is still the same. I don't know if anyone lives there can say if it is, but at least in um, 2006, it was a very sketchy place to be after dark by yourself on Saturday night. And I like just parked my car, got out and was like, I'm sure someone will be able to find somewhere to get like a fake ID. And I walk out and everyone's like, like weed, cocaine, blah, 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 like all this stuff. And someone's like fake IDs. I'm like, you, yes, you, sir. And I like went with this random man into the back of a photo shop, Jesus. got my photo done. And they were like, come back in half an hour. So then I'm just like, I just went and sat in my car. So I was like, it's a little scary um and I got my fake ID <laughs> I think I've still got it in a wallet somewhere like as good like like good fortune like oh look at the beginning look how far we've come <laughs> which Charlotte used all throughout college so by the time we were actually 21 <laughs> she was like 27 on That's her ID right. meanwhile like anyone who knows me knows that I like I have a baby face so like there's just no way but people bought it somehow or they just were like oh bless her she's trying <laughs> and they gave it to me out of pity <laughs> they're like well here we go honestly give it to her honestly so you go to LA you come yes. back I come back and I I'm like desperate to study musical theater because I I'm, I always have been just that absolute musical theater nerd um I love it always have done and my parents like loved that I loved it but never really believed that I could have a career in it at all um which is you know fair enough my my parents just aren't like they're not in the arts they're not big arts people other than like they love to take me to the theater and I always remember that as a child like we'd always go to the theater but in terms of like you know being musical or artsy themselves um that just wasn't their bag and that's fine. Um, so yeah, when I was like, I want to be an actress, they were kind of like, okay. Um, so I think that's why the internship in LA was kind of encouraged, you know, was to see the other side of things. There are so many other things in film and theater that you could do. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I got a internship after graduating cause I, I got into a few film schools. I was like, I still don't know if this is really what I want to do. So I took a year off. And it was the year that um, Legally Blonde, mm. the the like the search for Earl Woods was on MTV. I know it very well. I would go over to my girlfriend's house every Tuesday to watch it. That's right, of girlfriend. Of course you would. Of course you would. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, did there was Bernie Telsey was on there, and I was like, he's a casting director. That looks fun. Um, and so I literally was watching that, and I googled him and got in touch, and was just like, do you guys do internships? Um, and randomly, um, uh, a lovely lady called Carrie got back to me. I was like, yeah, sure. Come in for an interview. No experience. Um, and yeah, got, managed to get an internship at Telsing company for three months, which then turned into like, um, they asked me to stay on for a further three months, um, and work, like just work a bit more in a, an assistant capacity, which is amazing. Um, like not as a full-time assistant, but like to kind of learn what it, you know what assistants do and to learn a bit more in depth which was great um so yeah that's how I kind of got into the other side of theater thing and that's how I tricked my family into letting me study musical theater because I was like well all of the casting directors at Telsey and Company studied musical theater because you have to know what you're looking for as a casting director so um that's what I have to do and they're like fine <laughs> I get it well it was so so Charlotte and I met in school And, um, as I have talked about previously, I was not really like aware of a lot of the business that goes into being an actor. I had just like done theater at my high school, was good at it, was pigheaded and decided that I wanted to study musical theater. And then I meet Charlotte in school and we become fast friends and, uh, just the like depth of knowledge that you had already about things that you wanted to learn while you were in an educational setting was so like inspiring to me in school. Like I remember you just saying like, 
I want a, a swing track. Like I'm in school. I want a swing track so I can learn how to do it here because that's important when you're out and about. And then you were like, I want to work on sides because I know that that's important. And like me at the time, I was like, I don't know what sides are. I don't know <laughs> what, I don't know what, what that means or what that, like why that's important. So a lot of my education actually came from you. Um, so thank you. Um, but did you find that helpful in our undergrad situation? Yeah. I like, first of all, that's, that's so amazing that you remember those things about me. And I, I'm happy that that's how my time at Millican is remembered. Cause sometimes, I don't know, I think you look back at college and you're like, what was I doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's good to know that somebody thought I had my head screwed on slightly for part of my time there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I always say that interning is such an incredible opportunity. Like, you know, I was in a, again, you look back in hindsight, it's 2020. Like I was in an incredibly privileged position that I was able and could afford to do, um, to do unpaid internships, you know, Nowadays, I look back at that and I'm like, oh, wow, like you, the amount of money that's coming into these institutions and, and there's no, there's nothing to show for it mm-hmm. as a, as an intern, other than gaining experience, which, you know, was absolutely invaluable to me, but it just, it counts so many people out of being able to do that because that just wouldn't be an option for them. Even the travel alone every day or buying lunch is that's expensive, even if you're living at home, you know, it's, it blows my mind. So I'm in a very privileged position that I was able to do that. But if you are in a position that you could intern a day a week somewhere, I think it's just such an invaluable insight into how the other side of the table works. And it makes it less scary as well. Like I, I found that I was going into auditions, you know, you still get your like nerves about me. Am I, am I going to do well? Am I going to crack? Am I going to be in the moment? Am I going to whatever? But in terms of being scared of the casting team or worried about whether they like me or what they're thinking, it kind of goes away because I've been on that side and I know for a fact that they just want you to do well. Like it's the old, you know, kind of cliche of like, oh, like casting directors want you to walk in the room and be the person for the job. But it's so true. And I think that for me was very freeing going into my undergrad because I was going in being like, cool, all I have to do is work on me and my craft and my artistry so that I can be at the top level that I can to come into a room and show that and give them that or take the opportunity for me to do that, you know, you know, I was so clear with interning, you know, at Telsey, I think there was like, I want to say there was like 12 interns or something at any one time. And a lot of them were um, either on a semester off from, or on a summer off, sorry, from college, or were actors who were looking at trying a different career path or something. And so also chatting to them during my time there as well, like they were just talking about how how they were always terrified of rooms. And so I already had that knowledge that like, cool, I want to come out of my four years not being scared of auditions. And I think one of the things that I always say to kind of, because I've obviously got such an interesting background with training, having trained in the States and over here, because I did my master's in Scotland. Like, I think it, there's one thing that Millikan does so incredibly well, and probably many programs do something of this kind um, across the country, is do you remember like our first week, there's the Pipe Dreams auditions where you have to audition for like everything. You've got mm-hmm. like 12 auditions in the first week. And it's terrifying and it's a lot and it, it can be a lot of pressure. But the thing I think it got out the way, for me personally anyway, obviously I can't speak for others, but I found it was just kind of like, all right, auditioning is a normal thing. And completely messing it up is a normal thing. And going in and completely forgetting your words is a normal thing. And that's okay. And that's not embarrassing. It's just a fact of life. You have good auditions and you have bad auditions. And some you're going to go in a rock and some you're not. But then you're on to the next one because we literally didn't have time to think because after classes, 
we had about two or three auditions a night, remember? Like, yeah. I found that probably, it's so funny, like, you know, the first week of school, but probably one of the best things we did in our four years there. Yeah, I mean, I talk about that just living in New York now, too, where it's like when I'm at home in Portland and there are three or four auditions that decide what's going on for the entire year, Yeah, those auditions feel like they have more weight. Mm. When I'm here and everything's working, I could go to four auditions in a day yeah. and do that again the next day. And so it it, it takes off that like every audition has to be like the one. So true. And see, England is like Portland. Mm. We just don't have that um, that access to auditions here. And that I think is the most frustrating thing about the industry over here is that you have to have an agent pretty much. It's very rare that you get called in if you don't have an agent, unless it's for something massively specific. So yeah, and, and even when you do have an agent, it's only invited calls. So it, it you just don't have that opportunity to kind of keep that muscle going. Like there's been times when you go months without auditioning for anything because there's nothing to audition for. Oh, that must make things just so stressful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like I, and just kind of going on with me being impressed with you, like knowing what you needed to do as a business person and an artist. Like, I remember we were all getting ready to graduate and you were just like, I have to go back to England legally. And I know that over there, I need to get an agent. And the way that I can do that is to get my master's and do that. Like it, it was just like, okay, the next logical step that I have to do to make this work is this. Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of us are just like drunk off our asses being like, Broadway <laughs> will pick us because we smile. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, I think it's like, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm a Virgo, so I'm very logical and I'm very methodical. And I'm like, okay, so these are the next logical steps of how I need to get to what I want to be doing. That said, you know, I did the masters cause I was like, okay, so in England, the way you get an agent is showcase. So I need to go somewhere to have a showcase, blah, 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 blah. Um, I have the most wonderful agent in the world now, um, who is just an incredible advocate for me and, and performers in general. I just think she's just one of these women who knows her shit and is just, I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get her at showcase. I didn't get any show showcase um, uh, agent from showcase. I didn't get any interest from showcase. Um, so it's so funny because I look back on these things and I'm like, you know, this, I was like, this is gung ho, you know, my next steps. And I obviously in the year I was there, I learned so much in terms of, I think it just gave me like that year to, really hone my craft and just to like have the space to play and practice with it and to have different opinions of, of people, because, you know, at Millican, you spend four years with the same professors who decide that you're one thing. Mm-hmm. And once they've decided you're that one thing. And again, I think this happens everywhere. I don't think it's anyone's fault necessarily. I just think it's the nature of being a teacher sometimes is that, you know, a person. And so you decide they're this one thing, which is kind of dangerous in a field like acting when the whole point is that you're acting as somebody else, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but they decide because you as a person are this, then that is the only thing you can be. And so it was really interesting for me um, going to, you know, a completely different country and a completely different industry and having their perspective on things. And I think that ended up being the most um, the, the biggest thing that I got out of my time at Royal Conservatoire, because like I said, I kind of went, cause I was like, right, I need an agent. So, all right, let's just do this year, get an agent, spend thousands of pounds to do so. Um, and you know, that ended up not being the path for me. I didn't get my agent from that. You know, I got my agent in the end because I harassed the producer <laughs> of Pippin. <laughs> there was this production of Pippin happening at the Hope Mill. And I was like, God damn it. I need to be seen for this. I I need to be seen for Catherine. And so I just harassed this poor producer, um, who eventually at like, 
I remember getting an email at like 9 p.m. at night on the Tuesday being like, we've had someone drop out at lunchtime uh, tomorrow. Uh, can you make it? And I was like, sure, great. Um, and I end up getting to finals for it because I just like, I've been like, I'm going to get called in. Um, and I had already prepped everything as if I was getting called in. Yes. Um, so yeah, got that got to finals everything's great um didn't end up getting it um but it was like you know came down to technicalities and stuff and they were very lovely um but turned out that this producer that I'd harassed (laughs) was is also a agent for creatives um at one of the one of the best agents in London um and his wife is the um is the person who looks after the actors um for the agency and so he was like, I think you'd be great on our books. And I, and, and would you send over some stuff for Sarah to look at? And here we are, you know, three years later and she's wonderful. Three years later and a West End credit. And a West End credit. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so yeah, like I, it's, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? That you, you know, as much as like, I try to control things and try to be like, all right, this is what I need to do. And this is my plan. But it ends, it ends up kind of completely veering off that. Isn't that just how things always work? Yeah, honestly. I mean, when you look back at, you know, if if you look back at when we were in college, we'd both be living together in New York right now. You know, like it's it's so funny when you think back at like all the things that we were just like, ah, and this is the next logical step. And that it just doesn't happen that way. But that's okay. I'm not one of those people who gets thrown off if my next logical step isn't achieved. I'm like, okay, so that's happened. So what's the next logical step now? Mm. <laughs> so it's not like if you're knocked off your path, you are like ruined and confused. It's like, okay, new one. Yeah, exactly. It's like, cool. So we've got a detour. That's fun. Um, <laughs> how do we find our way back meandering through these hair woods? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that is a perfect segue into the question of the pod, which okay. is Charlotte York. Why are you like this? <laughs> I, I mean, we haven't massively spoke on it, I suppose, but a lot leads back to, like, I feel like there was a big shift in my life when family drama happened and my dad left and it was a long, like seven year drawn out divorce process. And it was, it, it was really hard on the whole family. And I think that and being the oldest gave me this insane determination to do what I wanted to do because I saw how I think I saw how my mom had kind of put some stuff on hold for the sake of my dad and how she now regretted the fact that it that she hadn't done those things Mm-hmm. necessarily like you know she'd wanted to kind of go to fashion school and things like that and then you know my brother came along and my dad was like you know oh you know you don't have to work anymore da, 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 da. And, and I think the things like that seeing seeing how that doesn't work and putting your life on hold for other people doesn't work made me really want to go hell for leather for the thing that I wanted and I don't know if that was to prove anything to other people um so much that it was to prove to myself that I didn't need anyone to do the things that I wanted to do does that make sense yeah absolutely um yeah so I think that is kind of a big part of why I am the way I am and and how I'm like okay I just I need to I need to map out the way I'm going to get there um, so that I don't, I don't fall off that. And I don't, and I don't fall into regretting not doing something. Yeah. It's wild that you say that because it, it just brings me to a memory that is ingrained in my mind. You might not even know that this happened, but, um, We were sophomores in the woods in your apartment, and Sarah Bareilles had just come to Milliken or something. Basically, she was like top of mind. Yeah. And I remember us listening to 
basket case on the couch, you and I. And then I remember us looking at each other and being like, we're going to fuck some shit up, (laughs) essentially. Like, yeah, just kind of like both of us recognizing that we had been kind of bottling some things up and letting it be and letting it be the exploring in college that you're supposed to do. Um, And who who knew that just a moment on the couch would be with me? like eight years later, but yeah, uh, yeah, I have I have so many memories of yeah, just a, that album specifically. Us just being like, was this written for us? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't just about you know it was such a kind of you know quintessential. I don't know if you call it like a breakup album, I suppose on the surface, but it it brought out this like you said, this kind of fire in us, I think, to, to, to say that we weren't going to be, we weren't going to be left in the, how do I say this? We were gonna be the people that we wanted to be by the end of our four years there, at least, and then some. Yeah, very that. that makes sense. Like it didn't it didn't mean that we had specific things that we wanted to do. But I don't know, I think it it was the kind of turning point for us that we were like, "Oh, we're not at Milliken for other people." <laughs> yes. No. That includes the people that we dated, that includes the people that we were friends with, that includes the professors that were giving us critiques and feedback and stuff every day. That was us being like, cool, I see what you're all giving me and I will choose to take this bit and this bit and this bit because that's useful to me. The rest we're going to throw away and that's fine. And I don't think any less of you because of that stuff that I'm throwing away, but I just don't need that right now. Right. Thanks, bye. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I'll call you later. Yeah. I I just think undergrad theater training is not done well Mm. in America based purely on like your age and what you are discovering when you're in school. Mm. Yeah. Do you, when you went to your master's program and people had done other schooling before that, did you find that they were just more like strong in their opinions as people or is that something I'm just like making up? Um, no, they definitely were. And it was an interesting um, kind of, I don't know if full circle moment is the right phrase to use, but basically when I was at Milliken, I remember being told by many professors to basically, um, to basically shut up. (laughs) Um, And I was, that I was cocky and that I was this and that. And honestly, the thing that hurt the most was actually, I take it back. They didn't tell me they were talking about me in the staff meetings and one professor and nobody had said anything. Um, and one professor actually like pulled me aside one day. I was like, listen, I just want you to know that this is what's being said about you. And this is, this is being brought up frequently. And honestly, the fact that they thought I was cocky, um, didn't hurt me. Yeah. Cause honestly you have to be, we're in a performative field. If you're not secure in what you're bringing to the table, it's not going to go well. No, exactly. And I'm sorry, but in certain areas, I did know more. And I yeah. like, and I look back and, and I say this with no ego or, um, or anything in certain areas, you know, these professors haven't left the cornfields of Illinois since they got there 10 years ago. And they're trying to tell people, how the world in New York works. I mean, I remember one professor telling us, (laughs) Ryan, you'll know who I mean by this. Mm -hmm. I remember one professor telling us that it's a really good idea to chop up your resume into like eight segments and send them in separate envelopes (laughs) to an agent. And that's going to make you stand out. And they'll love that. And they'll find that a funny gimmick and they'll call you in. 
Like, oh. no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but like, that's that's the stuff that people are like, um, that's not the type of person that I want to work with because I, I, I just want someone who comes, like people in the, in, they, there's this misconception that people in the industry like love when people find weird ways of standing out. And actually it just comes down to, we want you to come in be amazing, book the job. That's it. Just yeah. like, come do your job, show us your artistry and we'll fall in love with you. If you need to put a gimmick on top of that, that tells me that you're not confident in what you have to bring to the table as an artist, you know? Yeah. And so the fact that this professor was sitting there telling us things like that, and I was like, this is just ridiculous. It's also that same professor who in front of a room full of people, when we had to... We had to say like a current Broadway star that we thought we were kind of close type-wise to. Um, and I said Megan Hilty. Nice. Because <laughs> I'm ballsy, apparently. Um, you have soprano and belt and you are a curvy lady. It's a very easy <laughs> like line to draw. That's the thing. I think I always, I always loved her because I didn't see myself represented in musical theater at the time. I think... Broadway's getting a step better. Still not great. But like at the time, you know, I was, you know, I was curvier than I am now even. And I didn't see anyone that wasn't kind of like a stick on Broadway. And to see someone who was in leading roles and was confident in her body and like, and used it. It was just like, it was amazing to me. I thought she was incredible. So anyway, so I stand up in this class and I'm like, and I say, Megan Hilty. And in front of a room full of students, he goes, well, no, because she's like an hourglass figure and you're kind of round. <laughs> I just remember being like, <laughs> wow, um, that, it was, that was like a, a knife to the gut. I was like, wow, like you can't even let me have one thing. He could have easily just said, sure. Yeah. Because it doesn't affect anybody else. But it just, all it does when you say, who do you see on Broadway that you like emulate with? It just gives you a sense of what kind of artist this person thinks they are. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the fact, like, I could be like, I feel like my energy is exactly the same as the really tall ensemble member of Hadestown. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a cute 5'3". But like, <laughs> yeah. it. the point is that the energy that this person gives out, I think I can also match and bring to the table. Yeah, exactly. And what that told me was you're not an exact clone of her, so you will not work. <laughs> um, so anyway, sorry, going back to the original part of this question, which was training states versus England. I just, it was really interesting to me because I got to RCS and even though, you know, I definitely had this kind of like, ah, oh, you know, F the faculty, like if they don't, like what I have to say, or they don't, they don't um, agree with me, then what, what else can I do? And so I started to kind of close up in classes, like definitely my senior year and would just kind of in class, just sit there and not say anything. Cause I, I, I didn't know what I was saying was controversial and I didn't know what I was saying was cocky or anything. I like, I remember getting admonished because one of the students was playing a piano piece And it was just literally like one chord the whole way through arpeggiated. And it was to kind of, it was talking about, you know, uh, whether we should use, whether we should accompany ourselves in auditions. And, you know, I got admonished because I just asked, I was like, is that the type of thing in auditions that they want something harder? Or is that, is that enough for an audition? And I got told that um, I was questioning the teacher's musical abilities and I was embarrassing her in front of the whole class by saying that she didn't know what what arpeggios were and I was like wait what I I was literally just asking a question as to whether this is the kind of level like the 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 difficulty of playing that they want to see in an audition is that okay yeah like and I yeah I was told that I was embarrassing the teacher so at that point I was like I don't know what I am and I'm not allowed to say so I started to shut up and then when I got to RCS, I think I just kind of went in with a bit of that mentality. And I've still got a voice note because we used to have these um, check-ins with two different 
faculty members of um, of the musical theatre faculty at RCS. And I remember one of the professors, like uh, at my second check-in, being like, "Why, why do you sit through all this bullshit?" <laughs> and I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" Because also, I'm not used to like professors in the states talking to you like you're just a normal person at the pub do you know what I mean like oh yeah there's this whole like oh they can't even be Facebook friends with you whereas like our first week our professors were all like all right who's um who's going down to the the pub we're all going just it's that it's a very different dynamic that they're you're their peers essentially as opposed to their students and yeah she was just like oh like yeah why'd you sit through this bullshit like I see you I see you want to say something and I see you hear a lot of things that aren't correct, that are, that are quite honestly bullshit in class from either other students or other teachers that I'm sitting in on and you don't say anything and you're smarter than that. And I know, and I've talked to you and I know you want to be saying these things. So why don't you? And it was this kind of, I don't know if it's like a wake up moment for me. Cause I was like, Oh, like I've been told for years now that I shouldn't be speaking and now I come over here and they're encouraging me to call out things that are wrong or call out things that are you know um controversial or or different or interesting points that could be you know a a different point of view um so yeah it was it was kind of a a bit of a shock to me to be told like no, your 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 opinions are correct, just as the other person in the room's opinion is correct, and you can have that discussion. And she was like, "The reason, like, I don't understand why you don't speak up is because you can have the discussion, and you do have the discussion when you do let it out. The few times I've seen it, um, because I'm not one of those people who my opinion is the only way. Like, I." I voice an opinion because I want to hear your opinion. And then I want to like, to have those opinions grow and evolve and go into something different. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's how we learn. I mean, that's what they were touching on when they were saying, we need you to point things out because if we don't point out things that are irregular, then none of us are learning. We're just doing the same thing over and over. And then you're giving me money. Like I'm not giving you an education if you don't ask questions. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting wake up call. There were some incredible professors up there, but then again, this is what me, makes me think, I think like going to two different schools, studying musical theater, you know, there was still that a same, same kind of professor as there was at Millican who didn't give me the time of day. And so it kind of made me wake up and see like, Oh, I think that's why I have kind of a love for Millican and RCS now is I'm like, Oh, this is every school. This is mm. every every school that has that one or two teachers who's been there for far too long and is bored at yeah. the end of the day. <laughs> you know, like, and every school will have them. And the more I speak to other students at different schools, I think sometimes, like, when I first graduated, I was like, oh, like, Millican didn't do this for me and I didn't get this out of Millican and da-da-da-da-da. And then you look back and you're like, oh, actually, I got so much out of my time there. And all the things that were bad are bad at other schools too. This isn't an isolated incident. doesn't mean it can't be fixed or shouldn't be fixed, but it made me feel a lot less um, angry about certain small things. You know, like I have this like weird thing with um, shows because over here talking to like, you know, my partners in Mamma Mia and stuff and all the different schools over here have like third year shows. And that's how you have, you know, agents come and see them and things like that. Um, and they have multiple, basically the last year is just putting on shows. So just putting on your, just working on your craft and, sh- and showing what you've been working on the past two years, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them, they graduate knowing how a professional setting is run, knowing how, um, how backstage tracks work, knowing how rehearsals and swing tracks, you know, there's a swing project at um, where my partner went to school where it's like a month of them learning like seven different tracks each and then literally just going on for different things every day. 
So that really interested me because at Millican, I graduated having never had a leading role. I, well, I had one supporting role in Cinderella and I was the one track that is that doesn't sing in a musical <laughs> so I graduated from with a musical theater degree having never actually done a full musical you know I was the swing in spelling bee which I was really thankful for because as you said like I was determined that I wanted to have swing on my cv um but it just it there were so many people like me in our time there who just didn't have that opportunity to actually know what they're doing when they get out because it's all very different but you know putting it in practice in a scene in class to getting out into the real world and having to do a full play and being like oh what's what's stamina I didn't know I needed that (laughs) very yes you know it's it's really interesting to me it was a massive disservice for me anyway like I know when I went into doing Frenzical you know I was in for the ensemble with a cover um, and then I ended up getting Rachel um, and playing the role, which was great. So I was like, great, a leading role on the CV and stuff. And that night I cried myself to sleep. So I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> You've literally been studying and studying and studying, but you get to this point and you're like, wait, yeah, I've I, I never like, done this before. And that seems wild. Yeah. Like I, I was like, this, this is crazy. I know in theory I could write you down everything that I know. I could write a book on what I know about musical theater and about being an actor. And yet to do it, I was like, I haven't been prepared for this in all my thousands of pounds I have spent on training. <laughs> they didn't teach me the one thing that I'm, that, that <laughs> that I need I'm the degree do. to do. Yeah. <laughs> like how crazy is that? Um, and same kind of with, you know, with Pretty Woman walking into my first, you know, rehearsal was one of the most scary experiences of my life. You know, like it it was a different ball game. It was also an American team and the way that Americans work is very different to the way British people work. They're fast and loose and they swear a lot and they wear oh no clothes. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Or just bow ties every day. And we're like, how many bow ties do you have? Um, um, I, yeah, it was, it was, it was scary because I was lucky because I've had the American training. Right. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these guys haven't worked with Americans before. And so it was this enormous amount of tension because we just did music for the first um, three days. And um, the music director was used to Americans. So pretty much everyone in America, like kind of sight reads to some sort of degree. And you know how like, you know, you have to do music theory and ear training and stuff like that mm-hmm. at college in the States. And that is, you know, part of getting your degree. That's not a thing in England. Um, and so we're just like, I remember going to my first rehearsal, even in training at, um, at RCS and they're like, all right, so today's note bash. I was like, what's, what's a note bash? Like, Sounds and like it's literally, honestly, literally like, no bash, woo um, But no, we literally sit there with our, you know, our voice memos out on our phones and we record the parts that that they play, that we're going to be singing. And that's a I day. I love that. I that's love a that. day. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really useful. And the thing is, it actually, like, it's not as if you couldn't do that in the States because it literally takes a day. It's not difficult. But in the West End setting of things, when the American musical supervisor for Pretty Woman came over, he was angry and frustrated because he's used to working in a certain way um, in the States. And it's just not how the West End does things. So for me, I was kind of lucky because I was like, all right, sight reading, here we go. Let's do it. This is where I live. Um, But for a lot of people, yeah, he was, it was, it was really frustrating and like he he got angry and so that those first couple of days kind of set off that tension of like oh my god this is a big leagues and I don't know what I'm doing and if they're getting angry at all these people who've been doing the West End for a long time what am I doing here (laughs) you know like it's like the imposter syndrome just like keeps moving yeah yeah exactly like you think like oh I just need to get over that hump and then 
and then I'll be better and then I'll be confident in myself. But it it just doesn't happen. But what I'm hoping with, you know, this whole pandemic life, um, I'm hoping that this year off has taught me that what I have to bring to the table is enough and and that I know what I'm doing and that I can trust that. Whereas before, I think I was just so like, oh my God, I like I, I shouldn't be here. Like I've worked so hard and I deserve to be here. And I know in my mind, um, logically, again, going back to logic, I know logically that I should be here. But in my heart, I was just like, oh my God, you know, I, I don't, I, I still am that, scared you know 16 year old in high school who was terrified to sing one line of a solo do you know what I mean yeah absolutely I think you just got to keep in mind that that same 16 year old drove to a back lot to get a fake ID to go see Rihanna you know what I mean yes yes, she did (laughs) yes Yes, she did did. (laughs) no I think yeah I I think it I think it will be better because I think I've had this year off of just of remembering that I'm not on this hamster wheel of industry and Mm. that I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, I'm doing lots of like, you know, just silly creative things that are nothing interesting, but like, you know, just like videos that I'll post on my Instagram. And it's not about the likes. It's not about anything to do with that. It's just like, I did a thing and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Here it is. Like if anyone wants to see it, cool. If anyone doesn't, it, that's, that's cool too. Like, it's just nice to, feel like I'm doing something and I think once I'm back in a rehearsal room fingers crossed um I think I'll be able to carry that with me and and kind of be a bit more like yes I deserve to be here because I I'm an artist just like everyone else here is an artist too I love that well as we get towards the end of our time together I ask this of all of our guests do you have any questions for me ew um, I love that you ask this. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I think, <laughs> I think, um, I would love to know what your biggest positive shift in your life has been thus far. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think the biggest positive shift has been literally the one time I did stand up and not yeah because of like reaction to it or anything but it was the first time that I did what you just basically described but I made something for me and it was because I wanted to do it and it, I have full ownership over it and um, this is something that I know that I'm good at and I'm going to share it and do it. I think for a very long time, I have been angry because in order, I have felt that in order to do the thing that I'm best at, I need to present as some sort of cog in a machine that they, that they need because Mm -hmm. of the way that our industry works and the way that musical theater works. Like, I can be as artsy fartsy as I want, but at the end of the day, I'm going into a room to sing material for people to say, do you like it? And then Mm. they get to choose if they do like it. And then I get to do the job as a post. And I wasn't doing anything on the other end to supplement all of that artistic part of myself. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything to be an artist. I was giving all of I was letting other people say, Ryan, you're an artist, as opposed yeah. to just being one. Yeah. It, it, it's like this this great metaphor um, Tash used earlier where she was just like, the industry can just be like you're on a treadmill and it's just, it's, it's going too fast. And you're just like mm-hmm. literally kind of like, you know, that image of like, you're just clinging onto the sides and your legs are like behind you and you're like trying to keep up with it. Yes, yes, and yes. And it's because you're like, you're, you're just trying to fit into this mold of, of, of what other people want. Yeah. And it, 
Yeah. It's this, yeah, I, I think when you create something for yourself, even if like, even if it's not necessarily, you know, you don't have to write your own song to be creative. Like you can still be creating while singing something else, while, while you know, performing a comedic scene that is from a movie that has already been done. But by you doing it, that is artistry in itself because it's not going to be what the other person did. So you are creating something in that. And then having the bravery to share that and not have it be about what other people think necessarily, but just to say, I did a thing and I'm here and what I did is valid. Is a, It's a scary thing to do in this industry because it's not trying to fit into a box. It's not doing it to fit into a box. It's doing it because you love it and because you, because it stems from a place of joy, you know? Yeah. And I think that doesn't get celebrated enough in this industry is that we all got into it because we love it. You exactly. know, that's it. You know, I think of when I was a kid and the first musical I saw was Cats how yes. I'm still doing musical theater after seeing cats for my first show. I don't know, <laughs> but I like, I walked out of there and I was like six years old and my mom is my first Western show. And I look up at my mom after walking out and you know, like everyone's like, you know, bottlenecking to get out of a theater. And I'm like, mom, what was that called? Like, what, what do those people do? And my mom was like, they're Western performers. And I was like, like with all the confidence of a six year old does, I was like, cool, I'm going to do that one day. Yeah. And my mom was like, okay. And like everyone around, I remember looking up and all these like people looking down at me being like, oh, she's so sweet. And I remember being like, um, no, that, I, no I'm, I'm going to do that. I don't, I don't know why you're laughing. Um, and, but it's that joy that I think we sometimes forget. And, you know, the things that you, I can imagine with stand up comedy is that sense of play that you had as a kid like you know the amount of times that I'm sure you did like me like you just put on scenes mm -hmm. with your siblings and you'd be like I know you don't enjoy this but I need another person so you'll do <laughs> like, yeah. you just grab your siblings and you're like you're in it now and that sense of play and love and joy that we get from it I just I I miss it so much and I even watched on the it was the one year anniversary since our show closed the other day, um, March 16th, when the theatres went dark in London, anyway. Um, and we watched Gypsy at the Savoy Theatre, mm -hmm. um, which is going to be our new home um, for Pretty Woman, which I'm, this will, I'm sure this will be released after, yeah, <laughs> after that's been announced. Um, but yeah, so that's our new home. And I was like watching it and tearing up. And I was like, I love this so much. And I think it's easy when you're on that hamster wheel or in, when you're on that treadmill that's moving too fast to forget why we got into it, to get caught up in the, oh, well, my professor in college said this, like, how crazy is it, Ryan, that we're 30, you're nearly 30, and we're still thinking, like, we still have um, hangups over what professors said to us in college. Yeah, when we were 19 when we had no idea what we were doing or who we and, you were. Know, we, yeah. Or who we were. And, you know, and to be fair, we still have no idea what we're doing, but we move, we breathe. It's, you know, we move through it and, and every day we're discovering something new. Um, but I think it's so funny to me that those are the things that we hang up on. And those are the things that we tell ourselves before we go into an audition room or that, you know, will randomly pop up in the back of our head. Like, Oh, by the way, Charlotte, I know you're about to go like audition for Elphaba, but do you remember that time? Like blah, blah, blah said this. And you're like, no, not you. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, so it, but we don't think about the things like, Oh my God. Like how fucking cool is it that I get to go in and sing this material that I fell in love with when I was 13 years old. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it blows my mind that that's where our mind takes us. But I think, again, it's, it's a year off. And I think we've had the time to remember why we got into this. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like this year I've been like, I actually 
physically painfully miss the theater. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it, it gave you, it gave a lot of us the time to sit and be like, do I, is this, is this right? Is this what I'm meant to do? And for some people it wasn't, and that is beautiful. And for some people it is, and it, I hope and pray that most of us return to this with joy and with excitement. And I know that it can't last forever because there's just, it's a grind and a lot of it does suck. But as long as I can hold on to the joy of being able to interpret a song in front of people doing what I believe I do best, I want to hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Well, Charlotte, this has been absolutely lovely. Um, Where can the children find you? Children can find me on um, Instagram, um, which is C-E York with an E at the end. Mm. Um, And Twitter is Charlotte E York. Fierce. I'm pretty sure. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been one of my favorite conversations. You'll have to come back again, of course. Obviously. Uh, Anytime. Great. Well, until next time, everyone. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.